In this episode of the Legendary Life Podcast, why modern life is destroying masculinity and our health. Did hunter-gatherers really get more sleep? Are longer rest intervals better for building muscle? And the best way to work out to build muscle in your 50s. So welcome back. This is an episode of Ask Ted, and we've got a lot to dive into today. But before I get to that, I hope you had an awesome Thanksgiving, and I hope you found something to be grateful for, even if it was a bit hard for you, like like I shared. It was a bit hard for me, and I'll tell you, the one thing that I'm most grateful for and the, the goal that I set for myself is next year, I'm going to have an awesome Thanksgiving because I'm going to do what it takes to make that happen. So some, some great information that we're going to get into today. Part of it's going to be a follow-up on the episode on Monday, which was with Ryan Mitchler, host of the Order of Man podcast, which I highly suggest you check out. He's uh, got some great interviews. He's a good dude. And we're going to be following up on some of the themes in this episode and with some new research, too, on uh, whether hunter-gatherers really got more sleep. So let's get to it. We're going to start with the review of the week. And this one comes from Larry Hagner, who is the host of the Good Dad Project podcast. And he was nice enough to give me a review. And Larry says, outstanding content. As a health enthusiast, I'm always on the lookout for a resource with excellent content and guidance. Ted is definitely engaging and gives several insights into health, well-being, nutrition, and overall improvement of quality of life. I also like how he has incorporated video shows along with audio. Great show. Highly recommended. Subscribed. Larry. Awesome, Larry. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Looking forward to connecting with you and being on your show and having you on mine as well. So if you haven't given me an iTunes review, make sure you go and do that. What the hell are you waiting for? We have thousands and thousands of people that listen to the show and only 305 iTunes uh, reviews. And I know that iTunes can be a bit difficult to get on and to figure it out, but make sure you do it. Take some action. All right. Show me some love. It helps other people find the podcast. And it's one of the greatest compliments you can give that in sharing the episodes. So let's get into the first topic for today, which is modern life and masculinity and how modern life is really destroying masculinity and it's not I don't mean that in a emotionally charged way uh, I just mean it's destroying it by default okay and it's not something I want you to get pissed off over or anything like that I, w I just want you to understand the situation and also to understand what you need to do so listen we're at the point where we are very, very, we're living very, very different lives than what we evolved to live, right? Uh, 20,000 years ago, 50,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago, we were hunter-gatherers. Then came the advent of agriculture. But before that, as a hunter-gatherer, you had to spend all your time, what? Hunting and gathering, building shelter. Your days 
were all set out. You had your work set out for you. You knew exactly what you had to do. And then with the advent of agriculture, all of a sudden, instead of hunting and gathering the food and always being on the search for food and, and moving and roaming from one place to another, all of a sudden you could stay in one place. You could grow crops, you could raise animals, and the energy and time that you had to spend to get food was much less. That allowed for a lot of other things to, to happen. Uh, you know, that's how we, that's how our modern world evolved with the advent of agriculture. It's so powerful because it freed up people to do other things all of a sudden. Now, farmers are the ones who are uh, raising the eggs and uh, raising the chickens rather to, to give us eggs and milking the cows and providing beef and growing all the crops. And that allowed for other people to go do other things like build uh, <laughs> Apple computers and everything that we enjoy now, right? Uh, it, it allowed for people to branch out and, and explore their creativity with, with the new time that they had. Uh, also, what happened was a loss of rites of passage because the Paleolithic cultures probably couldn't afford to have guys who did not grow up and became part of the tribe, a producing member of the tribe. They had to go out with their fathers or with the, the hunting parties, learn how to do that, learn how to hunt, learn how to be part of a team, learn how to face danger and do all those things. And now we don't have that anymore, right? We have, uh, we have going to college is like a, a rite of passage now, but we really don't get that much from it. And even our education doesn't turn out to really be super beneficial in most cases. That's why so many college students, depending on their major, their goals, their, their direction, their clarity of what they want to accomplish, but a lot of them don't, they get out of school with their uh, degree in, in uh, you know, 17th century English literature or whatever the hell these kids are studying now. And they're like, well, wait a minute. Uh, can I be paid for doing this major? And they're kind of lost, right? So it's not really a rite of passage, even though in a way it is. But it's not one that really challenges us to greater heights in most cases some of us probably but most not and another rite of passage is getting married and having kids and with the divorce rate and and to see how many men are kind of beat down by going that direction and it's obvious that they're they don't have the skills right nobody taught them the skills uh, some some of them shouldn't even be married. They just did it because they didn't know what else to do. And I'll let you marinate on that idea for a second. Another thing is that physical strength is unnecessary in our society today. You don't have to be that strong to get your ass to work, to sit in your car and drive to work, to sit and type on the computer as most of us do. Even me, some people make a jokes with me. Oh yeah, you, you, you've been working out all day, training your clients. It's like, no, I, I don't do that. I show them what to do, but I don't exercise with them. That would be, that would not be uh, conducive to their goals, first of all. 
it, I have to be there for them. It's not about us working out together. And two, I couldn't work out that many hours for a day. It would totally break me down. So we have this, even me, where I have a more physical job than many of you, it's still physical strength isn't that necessary. It's a bit more active, but physical strength isn't that necessary. So we're, that's why we're getting out of shape. That's why uh, we don't, that's why we're putting on weight. That's why we're getting uh, overweight. That's why our hormones are getting all messed up. Because the more body fat you have as a man can lead to more estrogen in your body. There's an enzyme in your fat cells called aromatase. And aromatase converts testosterone into estrogen. So while you would have to get a hormone panel to tell whether you had high levels of estrogen or not, you can make an assumption that having all this uh, body fat on you is definitely not helping your health and not helping your sex hormone levels, your testosterone levels, your DHT levels, your DHEA levels, all those other hormones that, that make us men. Testosterone literally makes us men. Uh, we're in the womb. So we don't need to work our bodies hard. We have to go out of our way to do that. And I'll tell you something, that's something that that's, we're kind of opposed to doing that in general, right? Because going out, we, we're, we're very much energy conserving creatures. That's what human beings are. We're not looking to go out of our way and expend energy, right? Because in the past, energy was expensive. If you didn't find the food to replace it, you were in trouble. So uh, that, that is an issue. And so that's why we have to force ourselves to motivate ourselves to find our why to make sure that we're doing physically strenuous exercise to build our muscles and to build mental fortitude. It's about building mental strength and resilience as well as it is about the physical. Another thing is that food used to be very, very well, I don't, I don't want to say scarce. I mean, none of us were there, but it wasn't as abundant as we currently have it. And there were no uh, refrigerators. There were no freezers. There were no processed foods that could last on the shelf for years. We didn't have that. We found, we, we hunted and we gathered and we had to eat everything. And, uh, you know, and then we had to do it all over again because we didn't store the food unless we in, until we learned how to dry the meats and turn it into jerky and dry the fruits but uh who knows when that happened even, even when it did it still wasn't anywhere near as abundant as it is today so we have this combination of uh being naturally physically lazy because being uh not all of this granted but in general we have this tendency towards conserving energy. And then on the other side of that, we have this tendency to eat a lot of calories, right? Because that's just the world that we evolved for. And we're living in a very different world right now. So what I'm getting at is we have to seek out ways to challenge our mind and our body. And if you just come up in life, if you just grow up and 
you don't have a father figure or or your mom mother figure of some sort people in general or someone even outside of your family pushing you to develop in this way then you're just not going to get it and a lot of our parents aren't doing that i mean my i've shared this story that i got into exercise through my dad and i was lucky for that but many people especially nowadays are not getting that right their their parents are overweight they hardly exercise uh, and ex they don't exercise. They're hardly active is what I meant to say. You know, just uh, they, they're the type of people who will circle the parking lot for 20 minutes just to find a parking space so that they don't have to walk too far. That's that's what we're dealing with today. So on that note, let's let's tackle the second part, which is did hunter gatherers really get more sleep? And it's something I didn't mention at first, but there's been a lot of speculation about what Paleolithic people did and a lot of romanticism about Paleolithic lifestyles, right? Hence the paleo diet, hence, uh, you know, that whole thing, right? Uh, so many people are into that now. And I am too, by the way. But a recent study that just came out in October uh, talked about how the sleeping habits of, of people who maintain traditional hunter-gatherer lifestyles don't have the sleep habits as, uh, they're, they're not quite what we have romanticized about. So there, there's this new study, and they looked at a few different tribes of hunter-gatherer people. They maintained this hunter-gatherer lifestyle for probably thousands of years. I don't know the history of each tribe. I didn't look that up, but probably thousands of years, right? And what they found challenges our conventional wisdom about the sleeping habits of pre-industrial people, pre-industrial and probably pre-agricultural people. So what they did was they had three different tribes, the Hadza of Tanzania, the San of Namibia and the Samani of Bolivia. And they recorded the sleep records for 94 adults for a total of 1,165 days. And what they found was really interesting. They found that most of the people studied slept less than seven hours each night, clocking an average of six hours and 25 minutes. And that's really on the low end of sleep averages documented among adults in uh, Europe and America, in, in industrialized societies, right? Uh, and the, the amount they slept varied with the seasons, of course, with the subjects uh, averaging six hours in the summer and just under seven hours in the winter. And they also found that they rarely took naps. And so, so that's one myth that was dispelled by the results in uh, in that earlier era is people went to bed at sundown, right? There's this idea that we woke up as the sun rose and then went to bed as the sun went down. And that turns out, at least from these examples, from these tribes, not to be true. And uh, they actually found that the subject stayed awake an average of three hours and, and 20 minutes after the sun went down. So now, like, you even hear me talking about how 
oh yeah, you gotta, as the sun goes down, this is what I do, by the way, I start lowering my lights and I, uh, I, I try to go to bed after the sun goes down, right? Not too long after. Of course, I stay up and watch movies sometimes or shows. Actually, not a huge movie watcher at home, but definitely the shows. Uh, really into The Walking Dead and, and uh, what else? Strike Back Season 4. I stream, so I watch all of the shows afterwards instead of uh, keeping up with it. Homeland's another good one. So anyway, these tribes usually stayed up three hours and 20 minutes after sunset. So they weren't, they, they like to party just like us. And another thing they found is uh, that there's no evidence that the sleep patterns, right? Staying up later and only sleeping less than seven hours took a toll on their health. In fact, the, the extensive studies done on these groups found that they all had lower levels of obesity, blood pressure, and atherosclerosis than industrialized societies. And they also found that they had higher levels of fitness. They were in better shape. And, uh, you know, this contrasts with, with what we think here because there's this ex expectation that we should be sleeping eight or nine hours a night. And if that you took away all the modern technology, people would sleep more and that all this modern technology is, is crushing our sleep habits and affecting our health. But uh, this goes contrary to that line of thinking. Another thing that's important is insomnia was so rare among uh, the, the San and the Samani that they don't even have a word for the disorder, which affects up. Uh, uh, which affects more than 20% of Americans. And so what were they doing right? What, what were the things that did matter? If going to bed right at sundown or sleeping eight or nine hours were the things that they didn't do that, uh, uh, and seemed to have no effect on their health, at least on the areas that they, they measured. I'm sure they didn't measure their, uh, hormonal levels, their cortisol levels, their testosterone and their estrogen, all that, uh, which would have been interesting to see, but they didn't do it. And what they thought was that it had to do with their quote sleep temperature. In other words, the, the temperature would fall as night came around and that would help keep them asleep. So that is something that you should investigate in trying if you have some issue with sleep. As night comes, as it comes closer to bedtime, start to put down the temperature even to uh, an uncomfortable level. I sleep with uh, the temperature in between 67 and 70 degrees, depending on uh, how cold it already is. And I live in Miami Beach, so it's pretty hot here. So 67 for me is 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 very cold. And if you're in a uh, a cold part of the country, especially now, that may be different for you. Uh, so, so you may not have to adjust your temperature at all, at least not put it down. Another thing that they found was that they woke up at the same time. And that's a habit that's been recommended for treating sleep disorders for a long time. So there you have it. Put down the temperature as it gets closer to your bedtime and try to wake up at the same time every morning, roughly. 
and uh, something about uh, the the temperature is that in most like modern environments in, in most people's homes, people are sleeping in a fixed temperature, right? You just set the, the temperature on your thermostat and it just sort of stays there. And uh, what we may be uh, finding or what this study seems to suggest that it would be worth doing that. Uh, uh, that falling environmental temperature is integral to controlling sleep in humans and ensuring good quality sleep. Another thing was that the groups, the, the hunter-gatherer tribes, received their maximum light exposure in the morning. So the study suggests that morning light may also be one of those keys to regulating mood, to uh, making sure that you are tired by the, the end of the day. And they found that uh, it... it the, the morning light may also have an important role in regulating your mood because of a part of your brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Hope on, hopefully saying that correctly, suprachiasmatic nucleus. And that's a tiny region located in your hypothalamus that is responsible for controlling circadian rhythms. In other words, it's like your brain's clock. And uh, morning light, is also effective in treating depression. So you've got three things here. Put down your uh, your temperature as it gets closer to bedtime. Make sure you wake up at the same time every morning, roughly. It doesn't have to be the you know six thirty two, and you know if you're at six thirty five or whatever it's going to be a big deal. No, but roughly the same time. And then the third thing is expose yourself to light in the morning. Those are three things that the study says was really important. And they put that uh, as the priorities, right? The top three priorities over the other things that you normally hear, like uh, going to bed when the sun comes down, sleeping seven hours, nine hours actually, eight or nine hours, what people say to do. So these guys were getting less than seven hours of sleep, but yet maintained high levels of health, fitness, uh, low levels of obesity. And what they found was these three key areas, these three key habits uh, were responsible for the quality of sleep that they enjoyed. Of course, there's other things that they didn't talk about in the study. By the way, I'll have a link to the study up in the show notes, so if you want to check that out. But uh, something they didn't talk about was the types of stress that modern people, or modern people, uh, people in modern civilization deal with versus the hunter-gatherer uh, situations. So there you have it. Those three things are something that you should try to start to regulate your sleep better and see if you notice a difference by, by lowering the temperature at night, by waking up at the same time roughly every morning, and also exposing yourself to light in the morning and getting the most amount of light exposure in the morning. And that could be done via a walk or even just walking outside and, and just standing there and allowing the light to hit your body, to hit your face, and make sure you, you expose enough of your body because they weren't clear on whether it was like, uh, you know, obviously the amount, the more clothes you wear kind of blocks 
the, the UV light from hitting your body. And the study didn't go into that, whether it was like just hitting the light in your eyes or the rest of your body, whether it was vitamin D levels or whether it was the actual light coming in through your eyes and stimulating uh, your brain in some way. So there you have that. Um, also, I think what this study points out is we have a romanticized version of what Paleolithic pre-industrial, pre-agricultural people did. And it's not always true. And one thing I want to tell you in case you're down that rabbit hole where you're really into the paleo thing and romanticize that, that uh, idea that paleo people really had an awesome life and they had less disease and uh, less problems and all those other things. It's not necessarily true. We, we don't know. And these are obviously people who are alive today. These are tribes that are alive today. And so has their lifestyles changed or were there other uh, groups of, of hunter-gatherers that had different lifestyles and, and did sleep more and did nap during the day and were either and were in even better health? We don't know. But that's why I'm not like a, a full-on paleo person. I love the idea of ancestral health. I love that whole idea of paleo. But at the same time, we need to use what the modern world offers, what civilization, modern civilization offers in terms of science and uh, studies to make the best decisions. So I hope that's pretty clear for you. And I hope that is something that you take away from this as well. So let's get to the third topic for today. Are longer rest intervals better for building muscle? And the conventional sort of advice given is if you want to build muscle, keep rest intervals short. And, uh, you know, if you rest too long, because you're on your phone, you're kind of wasting your time in the gym. A lot of people say different things. So there was actually a study that was done that looked into this. And this was done by Brad Schoenfeld, in addition to a bunch of other researchers. And Brad's been on the show. You should definitely listen to his episode if you're interested in science-based, evidence-based, research-based recommendations for getting better results. Again, I'm not all about research, but we need to use a combination of experience and science to make the best decisions. If you're all experience, then you're not going to understand why things are working. And if you're all research and zero experience, then uh, I don't feel that's good either. But being some combination of both is going to help you maximize your results. So let's get to this study. It, it investigated the effects of short rest intervals, uh, normally associated with hypertrophy type training. That, that just means muscle building training versus long rest intervals traditionally used in strength uh, type training. And it, the group of people that it looked at were 21 young men who were already in good shape and they were assigned one group or another group. And the first group, they were all doing the same workout, but the first group had a one minute rest time. And then the second group had a long uh, uh, three minute rest time. So the short one minute and then the long three minute. 
and all the other variables were were the same they did the same amount of exercises and uh same workout same exercises they did uh eight weeks and performed three total body workouts a week made up of three sets of eight to 12 repetitions of six, seven, sorry, seven different exercises per session. And what they did was they measured muscle strength uh, before the study and after the study. And they used a one rep max on the bench press and the back squat. And they also did a muscle endurance test, which was a, uh, uh, bench press to failure using 50% of their one rep max. So m looking at the pushing muscles. And they also checked out the muscle thickness of the elbow flexors, which are your, your biceps curls muscles, but they don't call them biceps curls muscles because there's more muscles going on, more muscles working than just your biceps brachii. There's your uh, brachialis, your uh, uh, brachioradialis. So that's why they, they say elbow flexors. Then they also looked at your triceps muscles and uh, the quadricep muscles of these guys. And they used ultrasound imaging to measure the thickness, right? And what they found was that maximal strength was significantly greater on for, for the long rest group, for resting three minutes. They also found that muscle thickness was significantly significantly greater for the three-minute rest group in the thigh and the triceps. So both groups saw significant increases in local upper body muscle endurance as well, but there wasn't any difference between the groups. And I thought that was such an important point because you would think that logically, if you were a person who, you know, thinks like this, right? You would say, well, less rest uh, will probably give you better endurance, right? If you're, you do sets and uh, you don't let the muscle rest and then you push it with another set, if you only rest one minute or 30 seconds, but there wasn't any difference between the local upper body muscle endurance. And that was that one, that uh, uh, one set of bench press to failure with 50% of their one rep max. So it kind of says that there's evidence that longer rest periods promote greater increases in muscle strength and, and building muscle in guys who are already working out. And of course, it didn't necessarily look at the past workouts that the, the guys did, but they all got more or less the same types of results. So if you're a person who's been working out with short rest intervals with one minute or less, start resting a bit longer. Try resting two minutes or even three minutes in between your sets and see if your results get better. See if you get stronger. See if your uh, muscle building, right? The amount of muscle you have gets better. Now, the only drawback that I can see with this is the amount of time it would take to do your sets. If you're doing straight sets, let's say you do a set of bench press for eight to 12 reps and you rest three minutes. Wow, that is, that's quite a long rest and you'll be in the gym all day. So what you can do 
is, and this, this is not something mentioned in the study, but what you can do is superset, right? So you rest 90 seconds. You would do a bench press, then rest 90 seconds. Then you would do some type of other exercise. Like uh, I love pairing bench presses with deadlifts, even though some of the same muscles get worked. You could also do it with squats. So you could do a lower body exercise is what I'm getting at. Or you could put in some type of mobility exercise. So you don't necessarily have to sit there and rest for three minutes. You can do something different. Another thing you can try is doing something called active recovery. So you could hop on the bike or the treadmill and pedal for a couple minutes before going back to your set. Now, if you're in a busy gym, I wouldn't recommend that because you'll lose your bench press, right? But you could find something to do in between that rest period that's not going to take away from your performance on the next set. So that's how you would use it practically. Uh, and try it out, see if that makes a difference. And again, experience is awesome. People who get results in the gym are obviously doing something right. And let's say get consistent results year after year. They're obviously doing something right or they're highly genetic, genetically gifted, one of the two. But let's use science to make better decisions about what we do, about how we structure our workouts, our uh, programs, so that we can get better results. And that's how I got into the science of all this, by the way is I was getting really crappy results. I was going in and working hard. And it wasn't until I learned how to work smarter that I started getting great results. That's when my bench press shot up, my deadlift, my squat. And uh, I started, my, my body started really changing. So that's why I'm so passionate about sharing the evidence with you, sharing the, the research. And take a scientific point of view. View everything that you're doing as an experiment. And if you get results, then you're probably onto something. But if you're not getting results, then it's time to look at principles that you're missing, at research that you're missing. And that's how I that's how I overcame all my plateaus and found a way to work around all my injuries. So let's get to the last topic for today. And this is a question from Stanley. Stanley asks. What are the best workouts for the midlife male? I guess what I'm asking is, what should a man do over 50 uh, to build muscle and get a toned body? And the answer, Stanley, is that all the same things that I talk about in general, make sure you're working out consistently. That's number one. Even if you're not on a great program, you'll still make good progress if you do it consistent, consistently. And if you're on the best program ever written in the world, you know, designed with your genetics in mind and your, all those other things, but you're not doing it, then it doesn't matter. You're not doing it consistently. You're not going to get great results. So that's number one. Number two is make sure you focus on building strength. What I say is if you're not able to lift more weight, do more reps, do more sets, some variation, not all of this together. But if you're not able to, to do more the next week, then there's a problem. If you're not able to do more the next month, then there's a big problem. Your program sucks or you're not recovering from it well. So that's the, the second uh, 
principle. And the third one is that you're going to have to focus more on recovery the older you get because you're going to have more wear and tear on your joints. Uh, you're not going to have the testosterone levels, the hormone, the optimal hormonal environment as a guy in his 20s. So you're going to have to focus more on recovery. That means good quality sleep. That means getting micronutrient rich foods in your body. That, that means possibly looking into some supplementation to optimize your health. That means getting your hormones done so you know where you stand. You know how your uh, lifestyle is working for you and also uh, maybe genetically where you're at as well. So you're going to have to focus more on the health aspects. You're going to have to focus more on being healthy instead of trying to build muscle. And by focusing on your health, it's going to translate into better gains in the gym, better strength and, and muscle gains in the gym. And the other thing I would say is that maintain your mobility. Uh, as we get older, especially if we've been working out hard and working out consistently, which I tell you to do, if you don't focus on maintaining the range of motion in your joints, you're going you're gonna to have problems. And it's not just about being very flexible. It's about being strong through that range of motion. So a great example is think about the, the girl in yoga who's like kind of skinny fat and she's got amazing flexibility, but she just, she looks like she, she barely works out at all but she has this amazing flexibility. That is not what you want. Think of a gymnast instead, how these guys can flip around, or even the women gymnasts as well, how they can flip around and do all this amazing stuff, and they can do handstands and control their body. Strength and control through a large range of motion is what I'm talking about. So those would be the biggest uh issues. And I specialize in training guys in their 40s, 50s, 60s. I've had a client who is in his, I've had a several clients who've been in their 70s. And that's the issue. They need to work more on nutrition. They need to work more on their sleep. They need to make sure that they recover. They need to make sure that they maintain and improve their mobility. And so that's the only difference. Uh, and if you, Again, so recovering from the workouts, you can't beat yourself up as much because that's what a lot of people do in, in their 20s. At least that's what I did. I just beat the hell out of myself in the gym and I got good results. That approach stops working as you get older. You're going to have to work smarter. And if you'd like a program to follow, I've redone the workout on the website. So I want you to go to Legendary Life podcast.com, go to the free tools section and get that workout. I've redone the workout. I had a, had a workout up there that I looked at it the other day and I was just like, Oh, I really need to redo that. So, uh, make sure you go there, legendary life podcast.com, download the free workout and put it into action. That's all I've got. Have an awesome rest of your week and look forward to the next interview, which is going to be with Chad Waterbury. We're going to go even deeper into how to build muscle without damaging your joints uh, and how to improve your performance and how to build up hard 
areas like your calves and uh, and some other things. It was a fantastic interview, and Chad Waterbury is one of the best strength coaches around. He's worked with uh, top athletes like Ronda Rousey, so look forward to that next week on Monday. That's all I've got. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll talk to you soon.